Deliver us. Oh, that's what the world has been crying out for for centuries. How does the world even know to cry out for that? Well, you know, it doesn't need to be something you need to be educated on. When you're in trouble, when you're in need, you, you cry out for help when you can't help yourself. And that's been the state that we've been in with the dilemma we put ourselves in with sin. And what has given the world hope to even cry out for a deliverer? Why does the world have this expectation to be delivered? And when we looked at this last week, how God foretold, he pre-announced his coming. He was expected not just by the Jews, but by the whole world. Even the pagans had their prophecies, which agreed with the Jewish prophets about a coming savior. The whole world was anticipating deliverance. So when we sing joy to the world, we really mean it. It's for the whole world. Now, I know that there's some folks that are outside the faith who may think that this is really an audacious boast. I mean, because this whole pre-announcement of the hope of a Savior came through one nation and one people group, the Jews. And people go, well, if God really wanted to, to save the world and deliver the world, why, why didn't he go to the, to the people in China first? Or why didn't he go to the people in Finland? Or why didn't he go to, you know, wherever, the people group that they want? And maybe that's a, that's a good question, but it, it's, it's this whole mindset of, oh, that's just really egocentric. That's just cultural centricity to think that, you know, your people has the answer and, and you, you know, God came to you and everything revolves around you. But you know what? There are some who think that way in all their wisdom that if God were to save all people of the world, to deliver them, then he would... You know, they have this little plan of how we do it in modern day. Well, he would distribute the message of hope to each nation all at the same time. And then he would send each nation a little mini savior that came from within their own culture because then they would understand it. And that's just practical. That's just practical. Well, you know what? I don't know if our God really cares about what is practical. And I don't know uh, in this matter... You know, from the very beginning, God has been working his plan for deliverance, not our plans. You see, God has had a mission. And the saints have come to call this mission the mission of God, Missio Dei. And this is something that, that's been known for ages. What is the mission? Maybe you're not familiar with that. Sometimes uh, in more evangelical and more Protestant circles, we're not familiar with that term. The mission, it is, the, it is God the Father actively working since the beginning to reconcile people to himself by the Holy Spirit through repentance and faith in the Son, Jesus Christ. The story of the mission is recorded in the Bible. And for those of you who are Christ followers, you're now involved in that story, in the mission. The most familiar part of the mission to us is, is the birth, life, and death, and resurrection of Jesus. But you know what? It's really hard to find a beginning to this story of the mission. To this story where it talks about the lamb who was slain since from the creation of the world. And then it's also really hard to find an end to this story where God says, Behold, I, I create new heavens and a new earth. Where does it begin? Where does it end? The story of the mission seems to have no beginning or no ending in time at all. And it seems to be beyond time itself altogether. Sometimes the story of the mission seems so simple that we can get the whole thing on a very small Christmas card. 
or into two crossed pieces of wood. And we we fit it into that symbol. While in another sense, the mission seems so huge and so complex and vast that the Bible can only hint at it. But from the Bible, we can get the most exciting and relevant part for mankind. And it all has to do with the world's need for a deliverer. And God sending his deliverer. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about that story, the mission. But I won't be telling you why, why God chose to bring deliverance through just one people group or one culture. I don't know all the reasons why. The more important question, though, is what? What God was doing through that one nation, through that one people group. You know what it was? It was to bless all the nations of the earth. Joy to the world. It's true. It's true. In the first 11 chapters of Genesis, God works with all of mankind. God creates all people from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve and their descendants live with the infection of sin and its terrible symptoms and live with the memory of how they were deceived by the enemy in his serpent disguise. But they also live with the knowledge that God has promised that a future offspring, a child born of a woman, would one day crush the enemy, crush Satan. And they all wondered, when will this happen? When will this occur? Will it be in our lifetime? After the Tower of Babel, God confuses the languages, but creates cultures in his mercy, which, by the way, Acts 2 is an undoing of Babel. And out of one of these cultures and out of one of these people groups, God chooses one man, Abraham, to begin unfolding the mission. And again, why God chooses Abraham is not as important as what for. God chose Abraham to bless the nations. Listen to God's words to Abraham. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples of earth will be blessed through you. God continued to work through Abraham's descendants, again with the intention to bless many, to bring joy to the world. When Joseph rules by the Pharaoh of Egypt, who comes to eat from his hand? You know what? It's not just his family. It's not just his family that are rescued from the famine, but all of Egypt and the surrounding nations. The descendants of Joseph and Jacob and Abraham grew in number and they multiplied in Egypt. And when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, what did God say his purpose was for the Exodus? To make himself known to the nations. Joy to the world. If you remember your Bible stories, Rahab was one of those people in one of those other nations. And she hid the Israeli spies. And she was one who heard and believed in God because of the Exodus. Later, when the promised land was settled by Abraham's descendants, they were not only a large people group, but they had become a nation. And from that nation, God began even more specific. And he he chose from one of their tribes, Judah. And from that tribe, he raised up the family of David. God tells David in 2 Samuel 7, verse 11 and 12, he tells of a coming king who will rule eternally with an eternal kingdom. David had gone to the Lord in prayer saying, Lord, I want to build a house for you. I want to build a temple. See, I got this great palace and you got this tent. I want to build a temple for you, Lord. And God says, nope, you're not going to be the one. I got something bigger in mind. I'm going to build a house for you. And from this house is going to come an eternal king. 
and an eternal kingdom that's going to bless all the nations. That was just a little bit bigger than David had been thinking. Just a little. And it's also built a lot of anticipation among the people of Israel. A deliverer to establish an eternal kingdom. And he would be an Israeli? A Jew? Man, they got excited. That was awesome. Hope and expectations built. When is this going to happen? Is it going to happen in our day while we're living? Nevertheless, time goes on. And when Solomon builds the temple for the established nation of Abraham's descendants, God shows concern that Israel let the stranger and the foreigner come and learn about God at his house. God told them, hey, you were once foreigners. You were once aliens. Remember and treat those foreigners with kindness and let them come to me. Let them learn of me. You see, God had in mind a house of prayer for all nations. You remember Jesus' words about that? Joy to the world. Then came a time of ups and downs when the Israelites were disobedient to God, worshiping false gods. And God would send his prophets and they would come and warn the people and try to turn them back to worshiping God. And they would turn back to God for a time, but then they would repeat their disobedience. And in the midst of God's warnings, God continued to pre-announce the coming of a deliverer. Not just to deliver from their enemies, but this deliverer would be born of a virgin. Strange beginnings. And he would be called the Prince of Peace. Not just a peace between nations, but a peace that rule hearts. More descriptions were given of a Savior who would rule with justice and slay the wicked. He would set things right. But this was tainted with this strangeness that was told about this Savior, that, that also he would be a servant of the Lord who would suffer. And they scratched their heads at that. How could this eternal king who sets things right also be a king who will suffer? And they wondered at that. And then time continued and in the midst of their disobedience and because of their disobedience, God punished Israel. He destroyed the temple and he sent them into exile into Babylon. But even in this, God sent them as missionaries to help accomplish his mission, his big plan. He was still carrying it out in the midst of this. And since the Israelites wouldn't willingly be instruments to bless the nations, God sent them into the nations without their will. He said, okay, you won't go? You won't bless the nations? Okay, I'm going to send you there. And because of this, and because of the repentance and faith of some of the Jews in exile, King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians and King Darius of the Persians were both converted It was at this time that the Jewish synagogues began, places of teaching faith in God and teaching his ways. You see, they had the favor of the Babylonians and the favor of the Persian kings, and so they let the Jews move freely about all their borders, and they set up these places, these places to teach because the temple had been destroyed, but they weren't going to forget God's ways. And so they taught people about God and his ways, but they also began to spread the news among the non-Jews about this coming deliverer. And then God, in his mercy, let the Israelites return from exile back to Jerusalem. And the temple was rebuilt. They had favor with the Persian kings. And the people were no longer turning to idolatry anymore. They were being faithful to the Lord. And although they lived under the reign of a foreign power, they were resettled in the promised land. That land that was originally promised to Abraham. And then they began to think, surely... Surely God's promises of an eternal king to rule an eternal kingdom are going to come soon. I mean, look what he's done for us. We were, we were in prison. We were, we were in exile. 
And then God released us and he brought us back and we have the favor of these kings and we've built back up Israel, uh, Jerusalem and the walls and we, we have the temple again. Surely this is the time. We're on the edge of it now, aren't we? But something changed. Things were a little quiet now. There were no more prophecies. No more pre-announcements of God's coming any longer. God was silent to them. The prophets of God stopped speaking. And with anticipation, they waited. And this time, they waited for 400 years. And then he came, the deliverer. And he came right down among us. It was a door that we didn't expect him to come through. We thought it was going to be some other way. But he surprised us. And instead of coming with conquering armies, instead of coming like a king with trumpets to announce his arrival, instead he came to a little humble town and he came into a shelter that was made for animals. And then he was born helpless as a baby. He couldn't even wrap his fingers around his, his, his hand around his mother's finger, let alone wrap his hand around the hilt of a sword to be a conquering eternal king. And he just had a few uneducated shepherds to announce his arrival. But then there came some voices, some voices of those who understood, and they began to explain this unusual arrival. And he said, this is the awaited savior. God had come among us. They, they told us that, you know, these human bodies that we travel life in are like tents. And they told us that God had come and pitched his tent among us. He was here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and lived for a while among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we have the account of God, the Son's part and the mission, recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and we hear their words of Jesus and through them. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And we hear Jesus' words again, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus' words again, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And the gospel tells us, yes, that the deliverer was God himself. And yes, that he, he did enter history at one specific time, in one specific place, through one specific people and one specific culture. But he has always had the whole world in mind. There is joy for the world. And the joy for God, for this world, isn't just because Jesus came to tell good news or just 
teach good news. He was good news. He was good news for the world, and he did good news for the world. Jesus revealed who he was through many I am statements. He said things like, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. And the point in these statements is that he was revealing who he was, describing his being, not so much his doings. By simply being light, by being the good shepherd, by being the true vine, by being the bread of life among us, that was good news. That's what we needed. And most of all, the greatest news through Jesus' being was that he was Emmanuel, God with us. He was among us. If Jesus had not come among us, if he had not been these things and these roles, then the good news he told would have been discredited and false. But Jesus not only was the good news, he did good news. He accomplished good news. He gave sight to the blind. He made the lame walk. He released people from demons and he served the people around him. But his ultimate action upon the cross was a sacrifice of himself for us so that we might be with him, that we might be reconciled and brought back to God, forgiven. God was reconciling what? The world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Joy to the world? Yes. Yes, the mission of God has always had in mind the world from the very beginning. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. Maybe, maybe he didn't come the way you wanted him to. Maybe he didn't come in the way that you thought was most efficient. But he has arranged all things, circumstances and times and places so that you might reach out to him and find him. And he's not far. He's not far from each one of us. He's not far from the folks in China. He's not far from the people in Indonesia, on the south side of Africa, or on the other side of South America, or in Thailand. He's not far from each one of us. He has come among us in flesh as Jesus. And he is here with us today by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. You know what? You can continue to argue with God about he has arranged things in your life and why he did it. Why was I born into the family I was born into? Why did this happen in my life? Why did this person die or leave me alone? Why did I have this sickness given to me? You can ask all those questions. You can always ask why. You, you can ask it as much as you want, but it's not the most important question. It's the what. And the what is, is that he wants you to reach out to him. And the what is, is that he is not far from you. And the what is, is that he is here among us. And he wants you to reach out to him. He just wants you to simply to reach out to him. Come near to God and he will come near to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's what we want to do now. We're going to continue in worship. 
And we're going to reach out to him, come near to him, seek him. He is Emmanuel, God with us. In the next few moments, there's going to be some people around the perimeter of this room holding a goblet with juice that represents Christ's blood, a plate that has this wafer bread that represents Christ's body. As the song is playing by the band, you can get up at any time during that song and go and take communion, take that bread and dip it in that juice. And when we do this, we're following a command that Christ gave. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And what are we remembering? Him, Jesus. You can remember the cross and what he did there, the sacrifice that he was made. That's obvious what he wanted us to remember, part of that in, in the symbols that he gave us to remember him. But also there's remembering how he came and he's arranged everything so that you might reach out for him. And he came for you and he came near to you. So this is a time, we, we call it communion. It's a time to commune with him, to be close to him. So seek him, reach out to him in these next few moments. If you're not a believer, it's okay if you just sit and observe and watch. But if you've come here and, and you realize that you walked in the door maybe and you had no faith, but now you're saying, I believe that Jesus isn't just those people's savior, but he's my savior. And I don't believe that, that he's just those people's Lord, but he's my Lord. If that has worked in your heart, then I invite you to partake in this, to make it a proclamation of your faith. Parents, use your discretion with your children if you feel that they have understanding of this. If not, you can still use it as a teaching time to explain to them what Jesus did for us at the cross. So right now, let's commune with him.